Hello, hail, hail everyone, and welcome along to this special spin-off edition of the Endless Celts podcast. I'm Anthony, one of the regular contributors to the show, and I'll be in the host chair this evening, filling in for my good friend, Stephen. Tonight, we're going to broaden the horizons a little bit further beyond Celtic Park and focus on the current state of grassroots development across the country. This summer, the national team qualified for the European Championships, ending our 23-year tournament drought in the process. And although the tournament itself ended with the usual group stage disappointment, I think few would argue that it was great to see the stars of today plying their stuff against the best on the continent. But what about the stars of tomorrow? Is the next generation being given the best possible opportunity to make it in the game and make major tournament qualification a more regular occurrence? What are our elected officials and football associations doing well and what could improve? And is there any similar sized countries that we can draw inspiration from? Well, to help me at least try and answer all that, um, we've enlisted the help of our special guest tonight, who's actually undertaken some research on the matter in hand. And we're delighted to have him on the show tonight. His name's uh, Mr. Chris Boyle. Chris, good evening. How are you doing? Good evening, Tony. How are you? Uh, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Thanks very much for, for coming on tonight. We're no, absolutely no, thrilled no, to have you on. No, um, we've obviously been trying like a bear for the last couple of weeks just to try and get a suitable date, but we're delighted. Probably now that the, the Euros is finished, it's probably the, the right time to sort of review where we are as a country in terms of uh, development. And um, so I'll, I'll pass over to yourself j just now just to sort of introduce yourself to the listeners and just sort of give us all yeah, the reasons, what your sort of main inspirations for uh, undertaking the research into where we are at the moment. So an absolute football fanatic, it's fair to say. Grew up in a huge golfing family, um, but always wanted to be uh, around football. Um, played a bit myself, but was never that great. Um, and always felt if I got involved, um, earlier, I could have been better coach, right? Could have been better. Same old, this isn't about me, though. This is about, and, and, and you put it the state of grassroots football, um, Tony, and I probably fell into that trap myself. The state of grassroots football is actually very good, and this is my concern that you and I grew up probably, I think we're about 10 years apart, or something like that. So we probably grew up jumpers for goalposts and stuff like that. You don't see that going on anymore. And I will evolve to that uh, later on in the, in the conversation. But my footballing journey, my grassroots footballing journey, has probably begun with my own son, who's now 12 years old, um, and he's playing at Blackburn um, at a very, very high level. And luckily, he's coached very, very highly as well. So this, again, isn't about me, isn't about him. It's what I've seen out there. I draw my inspiration from. Now, Tony, your, um, your son's just got his cell into the grassroots football as well, and loving it he, from what I can see. He has, Chris, yeah. I think, um, I think I'm on a similar journey to what you um, were on. I'm just, like you say, about 10 years behind. Yeah, Jude's had a bit of a kind of stop-start uh, to his career, obviously, with the, with the pandemic. But um, similar, possibly, um, to your boy, he, he started off at the West Lothian Football Academy, and then they sort of feed the players out to all the, the, the you know, sort of respective clubs. So he's just started uh, this season at East Calder, and... Um, yeah, he's, he's 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 at this moment in time. He's not the next Callum McGregor, I would perhaps argue, but his enthusiasm for the game um, absolutely shines through. Uh, so yeah, so, it's that, that's an absolute credit to his coaches, I would agree. So what I would say is the easiest thing as a father is to force your boy into football. 
And the first thing I'd done is go out and buy a Scotland and a Celtic strip and put them on a wee baby that can't even move his arms or anything like that. And you've got this high hope that your son's going to get into football. But quickly I realised is that's not something you can force. So I let him yeah. come along himself and in his own time I kicked the ball when he wanted to kick him ball. I let him be a kid. I let him do all the superhero stuff. Some like the you, Tony, as well. I've seen it all the reduced on Facebook <laughs> and the pictures and stuff. Lego, everything. And then one night we were watching, he was a Barcelona fanatic for, for, for a right young age. Um, and I gradually got him into my team Celtic as well, which which always helps. But again, didn't force it. And we went to see um, Celtic against Barcelona. Didn't tell him. Went to school with a half and half scarf and says we're going to game tonight. Well, from that moment, Tony, that's when it kicked in. And to see all his heroes that were Barcelona at the time coming off that bus, he seen Messi coming off, we waited. I've got a friend over in Ireland, Alistair Dobson, was standing with me and just says he's never seen a kid so excited in all his life. My grassroots <laughs> journey began that night because everything changed that night. He seen Messi score a double that night and gradually just got into football. And... He went to Blackburn, not because he was good enough to be at Blackburn, but because his cousin was there and his pal was there. And he went down to Broxburn one night when they were playing the soccer fives. And he just went down to watch. And his coach went, where's your tracks in that? Oh, I wasn't told I was to come along with that. And he ended up scoring that night. And it just all went from there. And he's he's still on a great journey now. He's playing in Blackburn's top team. He's playing in Edinburgh League. He plays at the highest. And he's coached superbly. I trust him 100%. But what it's done for me is I've travelled around the country with him and I've had my eyes open to, whoa, what a system we have here. This is nothing what I've seen before, nothing to what I've seen growing up. We've got all these kids want to play football, and this is boys and girls, by the way, and we'll, we'll touch on the girls' football side as well. This is kids want to play football in a great environment. It's no street football, as you know it. I know it. It's proper organised games. It's fun. It's competitive. It's everything you want football to be. Um, and then I'm starting to think, as you go to academies like Celtic and Rangers and Hibs and Hearts, and you see these youngsters coming through, you're going... Right, I'm looking out for him. I'm looking out for him. I'm looking out for mm -hmm. him. Five years down the line, you're going, well, well, what happened to that wee kid that I seen it? This wee guy at Rangers stuck out Harry, blonde, long hair, looked like Peter Hustra's kind of style of hair. He's, <laughs> he's, still, he's, he's still only going to be about 11 or 12 now, so I'm, I don't know his second name, but I'll just mark him down there as Harry with the, the blonde, long hair. He'll <laughs> probably be short by the time he's, um, he's older, but... Um, and I'm going, right, so I started to look back into it and I'm going, right, okay, when did this all happen? What did I miss? Because you and I certainly didn't have that. That started to come along um, in the past probably 10 to 15 years. They started to get organised games, smaller-sided games, soccer fours, fives, sevens, the introduction to nines, which I love. My boys just finished playing nines and... I, I, I'm a great advocate that I would like to see that go for another year or two, but that's my opinion. And that's the point here. Tony, we spoke about this loads. Football's all about opinions. Mm -hmm. Everybody's got Absolutely. This is my opinion. This is my research. And instead of me just shouting about it, I, I decided, let's delve in a little bit. Let's dig deep to, as to why we've got this great, great grassroots system, but 
let's face it, 15, 15 years ago, these boys should be coming through now. And for me, there's something not coming through. They seem to be falling down somewhere. And I found a couple of, I had a brick wall at one point, but I've I found a couple of reasons why. Some of that will have been the same reasons why you and I gave up playing football or that great player for Broxburn gave up playing football. You know, women get involved, drink gets involved, um, adolescence gets involved. But you tell me that doesn't happen in other countries. Of course it does. Well, that, that's that's absolutely fair. fair. We sort of we, we we'll start from Chris because that's like like we've said in our um, our chat beforehand. That, that any time you listen to the you know the football phone-ins or you know maybe some of the the analysts you know discussions on maybe perhaps shows like you know sports scene and, and things like that. It, that it does it, and it's never challenged. And this is where we, where, where we sort of start tonight. Um, normally, when you ask these sort of ex-players, uh, like you say, that perhaps from different generations, and they all sort of use the same shtick that, um, you know, the kids don't they, they don't play in the street anymore and, you know, they're, they're interested in other, um, you know, they have other sort of interests, shall we say, and, you know, society's changed and, you know, the way we look and try and seek out and receive entertainment's changed. But when you, and, and, and like I say, it's never challenged but when you, you stop and think about it and you look at some of these small nations that in the past few years have had amazing success at, at, at talking top tournament level, you know, your Croatias and um, et cetera. But you, you can't tell me that, you know, that kids in Spain or Italy even don't don't play the Xbox or, you know, don't, you know, go, go, go to the shopping centre with their friends at a, a weekend or, or something. So that's where I always sort of say, do you think, Nowadays, certainly, that these arguments stand up to scrutiny. I don't, and your Croatia example is brilliant because it's a country of about four million, so a bit, bit smaller than ours, right? But if you look at the, the, the player that they're producing, the way that plays its part, of course it does. But let's look at Scandinavian countries, right? Your Denmark's, your Sweden's, your Norway's are probably not quite there yet. But what about Iceland? country of 330,000 people, right? Before we got to this national tournament that you referred to at the start of the show, Iceland had qualified for two in the space of the time that we hadn't qualified for any. How did they do that? Well, well that, that's it. When you, when, you, when you think of, you know, there's so many of these sort of uh, sort of think tanks and, and, and re, um, sort of Big government initiatives, you know. I think Project Brave was it was the most recent one a yeah. few years ago, um, and I must admit it's due to my own ignorance as well. And I'll, I'll hold my hands up on that, Chris. Normally, again, you know, when you see these sort of headlines in the back pages, my, my, my first instinct was to almost roll my eyes a little bit because you go, "Oh, here we go again, another, another sort of we're going to do this, we're going to do that," and then to the perhaps untrained eye, nothing perhaps comes off it but of course at, around this point like you say you're already on this journey with um with your son and you're, you're seeing it at the grassroots for example that, that we've got a fantastic grassroots system and I just want to quickly touch on what you were going back to there about just before we move on to, to, to Iceland um just we you, you were saying sort of certain players at certain clubs at the, the uh, at the bigger clubs shall we say at the academies do you think that perhaps the academy sort of culture it, it perhaps Although it's it must be great for for the for the kids involved, you know, to, to have your name on the books at um, a Celtic, a Rangers, or an Aberdeen, or, or or you know any other 
a club of that stature. Do you think it perhaps almost stunts their development a little bit? I would, I would, in my opinion, again, my opinion, I would say yes, it does. And the reason being, I've, I've seen players come and go. I've seen them go into pro youth and come back, and they come back a completely different player. Um, don't want to name names, anything like that at all. Um, mm -hmm. But I would leave them where they are at their boys' clubs. Go back to the old system, the yes forms. You know, Jim McLean was a great advocate here. Um, there's the, the scenario: Are they overcoached? That's another scenario I've heard. How can you be overcoached? That's that's a bit I don't get. Um, again, that's something we might touch on later on. Are kids playing too much? Somebody said once. Speaking to Alan next day one time, who's headed up Celtic's youth development, he said, "Well, you play with the school school team in immediately after you go uh, train with your your own boys club." Um, I just think that this club, this pro youth system, at that club they take all the best youngsters there are. What they deem as the best youngsters. And they bring them all in and they're looking for that one golden nugget out of all these boys. And these other boys get turfed off onto the scrap heap. And what fundamentally happens is if they're in from an early age and all they're known as a pro youth system, they could go out of football altogether. That is that's one of the reasons uh, one of the problems I ran into where, you know, the boys aren't coming through is because they've been through the system, they don't want to come they, they probably see it as a, a downgrade coming back into the, the, the grassroots system when it's it's not as the, the thing about the grassroots system is it's got something for everybody there so it's got your development it's got your intermediate and it's got your advanced and that for me is absolutely fantastic because that wasn't there in our day either pro youth is trying to pick off the best of the advanced and and they're doing it, but there's an element as well. And study actually shows, and I'm not saying anything against big players because there's some fantastic big players out there. You know, Peter Crouch a fantastic feat for such a tall man. Um, Absolutely. But we've got this thing in Scotland that we want to develop all these big players. And it's not really the way I see it going. Um, you know, players getting told that... Um, two E and stuff like that, but the vast majority of academy sides in Scotland still favour a physical side over technical ability. So they're going for that big physical lad, um, and I think we're missing out where other countries are working on on technical ability. Again, you know, I'm I'm not just saying that my opinion. This is this has actually showed up in study that that, that the academy sides are doing that. Uh, there are players in there that I'll no doubt come right through, but. For me, there's not enough. There's not enough. Uh, you know, Dundee United had a plethora of players. A plethora. You know, there was literally any good player in Scotland. The conveyor belt at one point really, wasn't yeah, it? Um, best, obviously, a few of them ended up at Celtic as well. Yep, yep. And Jim McLean, albeit, you know, some people all down cry him saying he signed these boys on, on lifetime contracts. And other guys, I spoke to Andy McLaren about it. He says that Jim McLean totally grounded him, mind you, how he turned out. <laughs> and, <laughs> Andy, what a talent. Andy was a raw football player for Castle Milk and got picked up off the street. Again, study shows that your um, your most talent comes from your deprived areas. Roy Keynes told us, you know, years ago, the Prawn Simons Brigade and all that, football is turning into a snobbery sport and I think it's going that because of these academies. If I take you back to where my son is at Blackburn, Really deprived area, open to all, absolutely open to all. 
and that's yeah. the way it should be. And, and you, you, just when you were saying there about, um, I mean, my own brother, um, and I didn't get any of the, the, the talent in terms of football and ability, Chris, my big brother, Kevin, was a absolutely fantastic player but got the same he just didn't um grow at that at that particular point and was told by all the clubs that he played with that yeah like you say he's, he's 2b and it's crazy to think that if Luka Modric or Leo Messi had grown up and like you say Castle Milk they probably wouldn't have made it either it's it's um it's quite a scary thought when you when you put it into that kind of perspective um and, and like you say as well about you know the, the, the pro youth system Bringing in, it's almost like a the the taking in all the, the best of the talent, like you say, and hoping for that one almost superstar golden nugget as, as you described it, and then the, the rest turfed on the scrap heap. That can create a whole a whole other sort of call range of issues because if you're reaching that sort of period in your life, you know what it's like 17, 16, 17, 18 as a young a young man growing up and suddenly you're directionless, um, it can be very easy um to be you know, to go down a whole load of, of bad avenues. And I mean, I think we're all long enough in the tooth. How many, you know, promising footballers have you seen sort of finding some solace at the bottom of a, a pint glass in the, in, in the pub and it, all over the, the, well, the area? Well, and and, and maybe if they just... Up, he ended up doing Yeah, that exactly. And an amazing talent. But um, I mean, I grew up in Broxburn and Broxburn was full of superstars. There was one in particular, a guy called Mark McGinley. I'll no mind my name dropping him at all, right? Never drunk <laughs> in his life. And what an amazing talent. The best of the best. And I just don't know how the guy never, ever made it. I, I, I still, to this day, do not know how, how it never happened. That, is that just down to potluck? But if you go back to that pro view system and, and take it back a few years, if they are lucky enough to get come back into the grassroots system, then it has a domino effect because that player will come back in possibly the, 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 the advanced team. Then the player might drop into an intermediate team. I can say that easily. And then it'll go into the, <laughs> the development team. And then maybe a player knocks out the development team and you've got that full domino effect that there's just boys uh, falling out of football everywhere. There should be a level for everybody. And that's that's where I think we've absolutely got it right on the on the, on the, um, the grassroots level. But that falls away at a certain age as well, which, which I'll go into in a bit. Ah, absolutely, I couldn't agree more. And um, so we'll we'll move on, uh, Chris. And like you say, all, all good research has to have a, a sort of case study, as it were. And I think you've picked the absolute best possible one that you you could have because in choosing Iceland, like you say, a country that's that, that even Scotland dwarfs in terms of population. Um, you know, I, I always think that we sometimes compare ourselves to the, to the wrong countries or, or the, the wrong sort of different models. But Iceland, I think, is a perfect example. We will add in that whilst you were doing your research, like you, like you touched on before, that you started this before Scotland had qualified for Euro 2020 and sort of after the period of Iceland's qualification for, for Euro 2016. So I'll let you sort of paint the picture, really, of where Iceland were, perhaps around the time of maybe France 98, the last time that we'd qualified for, for a tournament before this year. And, and how they turned it around. It's quite funny because the, the Iceland type began in 1997. Um, and somebody somewhere is going to say Iceland's no good model, right? But you've got to start somewhere, right? And the Icelandic model for me, um, it was based upon three pillars of success. It was evidence-based practice. It was using a community-based approach, 
big ticks. Creating a dialogue among research policy and practice. Now, policy is massive because of government. You need government buy-in. But, as I say, it started in 1997. A law was actually passed prohibiting children between the age of 13 and 16 from being, so basically under 16s from being outside after 10pm in the winter and midnight in the summer. It's still in effect today. And the drug use actually went, and that age group went down from 48% to 3%, and that age group alone. So that wow. in itself is a powerful enough story to go, right, we know there's a substance misuse in this country. And by the way, we are no different, and, and, and my, my research uh, evolves to that as well, is we are no different to Ireland. We're slightly different yeah. to England. They've got quite a bit to profile and stuff like that. And I spent a bit of time in Ireland in, in, in the mid-90s, and... Again, I can't understand why they're not producing the players because they've got a fantastic system as well. But back to Iceland, um, no other country has made the changes on the scale that Iceland has. State funding was increased for organised sport, music, art, dance and other clubs. This isn't just about football. Um, really alternative ways to feel part of a group and feel good rather than just using alcohol and drugs. You know, And, and kids on, from low family, uh, income families, uh, you know, received help to take part in this as well. So more than a third of the country's populations uh, lived in that low income bracket. And they got a, everybody got a leisure card, which was 250 quid a year, 35,000 kroner, um, for a child to play or pay for recreational activities. So again, not just football. But the relationship between the people and the state has allowed effect on that, the national programme to cut the nature of TGNs are smoking, drinking excess, and in the process brought families closer together. The enormity of Iceland's progress is absolutely evident. From 98, the, the year you refer to, to <laughs> 2016, the percentage of Icelandic youth drunk and that sort of declines from 42% to 5%. Very, very similar to the drop in the drug use. Cigarettes dropped from 23% to 3%. Phenomenal, phenomenal. So they've got, they've got them away from the substance misuse and then go back to football because that's what we're talking about here, but you can see where it's headed. The revelation... Yeah, absolutely. And the past 15 years, in terms of facilities, is now they can train on facilities all year round. We hear it all the time in your comparison to Scotland, weather's worse in Iceland than it is in Scotland. I know we're only dealing with a population of 330,000, we have to remember that. But in that 330,000, they have 154 football parks, seven full-size indoor halls, 20 outdoor heated fields, and a mini pitch in every single school. Putting that in perspective to try and bring it not into Scotland but to somewhere like West Lothian where we live. West Lothian Council sold 63 of its 203 football pitches. Now, I'm not picking on West Lothian Council at all in any way whatsoever. Budget cuts in any council is just because I live here that I, I use that as, a, as an example. Yeah. But from Iceland, right, you can start to, start to look elsewhere. And you look at somewhere like the United States and you go to yourself, how with everything that they got, every sport are good at, whether it's baseball, basketball or American football, how have they not produced what they call a good soccer team? And they've got pay-to-play models. 
inconsistent, expensive, coaching education prices out that, you know, again, you can't get people from deprived areas because it's too expensive for them. The same's happening all over in every every country that's that's got these aspirations but that tends to fail. America's got that aspiration that one day they would win the World Cup. Um, it's not happened. It's not going to happen with with their model. But this is more about this is more about how do we make football available to all? And Iceland were able to do that. Um, if you look at what we've got, we've got one football um, sort of indoor facility in Aberdeen. We've got one in Glasgow at Torrey Glen. We've got one in Edinburgh at the Orium. You need more of these performance centres. Um, we tried to open up the the seven performance schools. It was that Dutch guy. Um, how do you pronounce his name? Wattie, Mark Wattie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he... Um, Again, that all pushed itself to an intake of the most talented kids every year. So a kid from West Lothian, again, I'm using West Lothian as an example, the nearest school to them is Graham High and Falkirk. Why, if we're yeah. going to do that, which I'm not necessarily a fan of, but if we're going to do that, why do we not have a school in every county? Just so, make it, like you say, more accessible for... for it's, and it's, and, it's, I suppose it's like everything uh, in life, isn't it? It's the most deprived areas that are the the areas which will would would miss out. Like you say, I'm I'm trying to think. Falkirk, I live in Livingston. Livingston to Falkirk would be would be quite a journey if I was to to try and drive my. You you, you would do it if if he was given that opportunity. But you know when you when you factor in the, the traffic and and you know everything else, it would be a, a real stress to sort of get there when. You, you look at perhaps down at he, he currently plays at Bathgate Sports Centre um, on a Saturday morning, and you look at how the facilities have improved out there with the you know the sort of all weather pitches outside. Um, you know that a, would, would, would that be that suitable? Antonio. Do you think? Do you know that? Um, do you know the 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 one the full size pitch that's in the middle of the golf course? Yeah, yeah, that's where he plays. I me and my brothers. Um, my grand and grand are from Bathgate. I love in Bathgate, as you know, but I was from Broxburn. I was on, but we we actually seen that sort of shaped thirty five, maybe a lot more years ago, shaped out when they done the golf course. And we thought, what's? And it took them another twenty years after that to actually install what they put in eventually. So somebody somewhere had that vision, but it, you don't know if it's budget cuts or whatever it is. Anyway, back to, back back to Iceland, and um, you know they. Um, Icelandic football regards coaching as a skilled position, like a trade. It follows a similar method to Germany, Spain, Italy and the Netherlands who've employed regarding coaches' education and qualification. For young players, they have exposure to high-qualified coaches, back to what I was talking about. The approach is simple. To coach, one must be highly proficient and licensed. Now, I know we do, do go down that route here, but it's a higher, higher standard over there. You play football outside of organised training sessions. Everyone gets the same opportunity and everyone gets the same amount of training sessions. There are no, this is a key, no formal academies. So, so is that... You um, I, sorry. On you go, mate, on you go. No, 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 on, on you go, for, for finish your point, mate. So when you and I were playing jumpers for goalposts, as, as, I, as I, I like to use as an analogy... These other countries, such as the ones I refer to, you know, Germany, Spain, Italy, Netherlands, even Iceland to a degree, they were starting to get the proper coaching, the proper, like, 
seven-year-olds playing a small pitches, small nets. Of course, you and I in the early 80s were playing 11s v 11s a year a bit later in the 90s. Full-sized pitches, lobbing goalkeepers at 18, nine-year-old and stuff like that. <laughs> Outrageous. I, I still see some of it going on now and I still think, and that's back to my nines point, that I think that should should go on, go on longer. But another thing, and I know we're going to touch on this later on in the conversation, when, when, when we were doing that, playing all that, these countries were playing futsal. Again, something that's not really took off in Scotland. Like you say, it, it just seems to be that, like you say, a, a, a pitch perhaps getting shaped out in Bathgate 40 years ago um, and sort of some of the other uh, points you touch on as well. It just always seems that the, the, the good intentions are always there, but we, we just always seem to be slightly behind the times. And the ultimate irony being around that time was probably what we would class as a golden age for the for the actual national team because they qualified for you know five World Cups on the spin and two European Championships back to back. But like we say, around that time, the the sort of the middle development period seemed to be where um, we were falling behind as these other countries were um, were sort of catching up and subsequently overtaking us. Well, if you think about it as well now, right? We have got what what we need now, right? So we have. We have the right size um, goals. We have the right size games. We we have, a, but we've had that for quite a while now, and it's not it's not evident. So this grassroots, fantastic grassroots system that we've got, has fallen down, and it's still falling down for the same reasons as it fell down for sorry thirty years ago. Ian Cathro, who has now just went to Spurs, we. Uh, we know um, as very very high regarded in the game very high regarded in the game and couldn't even make it in Scotland far too clever for Scottish football I actually created that box soccer have you seen that has Jude been to that at all or? Uh, no he's not he's but not been to that no. something I would highly recommend John Cahoon actually bought it off him and if you've had an opportunity or if you've not or any of it's listening to this have an opportunity to listen to John Cahoon's um, I think it's on a Celtic state of mind and John Cahoon is a very, very clever man. And his vision on grassroots football, I just tuned in it right away from the first word they spoke. I was like, whoa, this guy's it's like me talking. And John Cahoon was a very, <laughs> very well-respected professional, very good player. But I don't think he's been listened to either. There's too many people out there, and I'll go back to what I say, there's too many people who've got different opinions on football. And it's not just black or white. There's so many permutations to it. I always think as well that there's a lot of, and and, and I think it's just, an, it's not meant in a, a sort of, what's the best way to describe it? It's maybe just an automatic reaction uh, when you, you know, relatives and other, uh, other members of the family, it might be the same with Killian as well. The, the minute that they come home from uh, their, their match, a lot of the first questions will be from, from some of the family was, what was the score? And, I always try and although that since Jude's been playing, I've I've watched all his matches. So, but I, I never really tell that. I never tr- make a point in never messaging what the score was to start with. I'd rather start with how he played, how how the how the how the guys how the, the boys all gelled together and stuff like. That. And then maybe later on the score comes in. I think there. Do you think there is still uh, an attitude, especially perhaps it's maybe unfair to just single out Scotland for that. Perhaps it's a, a UK thing. But it seems to be more the intention of did you win rather than sort of how did you play? Are you getting better? Are you improving on your shooting? Is your 
you is your passing getting better, things like that. What you're talking about there, Tony, is progression, right? That's what you're talking about. Now, I'm a winner, right? I've probably installed my son to be a winner. Killian would rather have a bad game and his team won than him have a good game and his team no one and we've just witnessed that away. I'm not going to take that out of him. That's just yeah. his makeup. But you're absolutely spot on. My brothers will text me and say, what was the score of the day? And then they'll ask how he played. So, yeah. You're absolutely right. There's too many people hit up on, and I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm not going to deny it, but that's in my makeup. But there's too many people hit up and what the result was, and when did it, and it's all about that winning mentality. And I've argued with guys over the. I'm not going to apologise because that is my makeup. But they're not. I'm not wrong, and they're not wrong. Um, again, it's just a, a bit um, opinion in football, and it's just getting that balance. I think right. If you could probably get somewhere in between that, because if you've got a kid that's got a winning mentality. Do you really want to take that out of them? Yeah, yeah, you're you're you're, you're absolutely spot on. Um, mostly, Mike, Chris, just going, especially with the story about the Bathgate pitch. That's just it's incredible, really. Um, obviously, and we're not going to turn this into an episode of News Night, I promise. But obviously, Scotland and Iceland have you know sort of slightly different, you know, sort of shall we say constitutional makeup, shall we say? And obviously, there's a lot of stakeholders in different sports and. You know, football, although we class it as a national game, you know, we don't have a bottomless pit of resources and, you know, we've got to spread it as what money we do have as best we can. But do you think, even if the Icelandic model can't be sort of implemented as well as as they did, do you think that there are certain things that, in your opinion, is a realistic um, approach to sort of improve that, that kind of that middle-of-the-road development, as it were, because, as you say, the grassroots seems to be a great setup, welcoming to all, even if it, and players can progress from that. It seems to be the sort of the middle period where uh, boys and girls aren't making it from the the sort of the end of the progression line into, you know, perhaps, you know, carving out a career in the sport. Is there anything that government can do, or do you think it is perhaps more, you know, down one step? Do you think the association uh, could be doing more? I think um, the association perhaps maybe need to take over maybe all the pitches in Scotland and uh, maintain them and make that part of what they, that's that's something I've thought about something I've sort of read on as well because the councils are just getting cut and cut and cut and they're not really interested they're just cutting that grass and they're not really interested in the ladder that's coming down next to play football on that now. That takes you back to facilities. Um, you hear the old generation, Frank McAvenny, when I ask him, what's your opinion? Ah, you didn't see street football anymore, son. Well, street football doesn't need... Can you talk about the whole change of society earlier, Tony, right? There's too many cars on the road now for street football to happen. Not only for the, the kids' safety, but also hitting a brand new motor. My brothers will tell you. <laughs> I, I used to hit this motor and call the boy Mad Dog when he used to roar out his window at me because I was scunning the ball off his car. But <laughs> that's changed. But street football for youth, you, we'll use basket as a good example. The cages are full all the time. The kids either jump the fence or getting in free. And by the way, fair play to you, excite leisure. They gear kids that are for a tenner if, it's, um, if, if they're available that day, make it affordable for them. My personal opinion, and, and not a, a slander on exciting anyway, because they've got to make money somehow, is, is, is these facilities should all be free. They should absolutely all be free, and we need more of them. That's your street football. 
But people want yeah. to see that, you know, if somebody walking down your estate or my estate hasn't seen a ball, boy kicking a ball on the street, that's because that doesn't happen anymore. But it is happening, it's just happening in better facilities. And um, I tried to get in our local park, we've got goals up that used to come down every summer. How crazy is that? What'd you take the goals down for in the summer? <laughs> Yeah. It's like it's like shut. It's like being a, it's like owning a beach bar and uh, you know closing up when the, when the airport's open in the summer. It's, it's that's just madness, isn't it? Absolutely. So I'm I'm to look through the local council campaign and we we got we got them, but nobody had ever said, nobody ever thought. I also campaigned to get smaller goals put in, in the uh, in the park and paid for too. Not even but it was rejected. So people's mindset need to change. Governments, councils, the association, as, as you refer to, it all needs to change. We need to do this collaboratively. It has to, it has to start at government level and work its way down. For me, my opinion on 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 um, pro youth football is there's some crack players out there. There is absolutely no doubt the best of the best out there. But it's also wasting too many boys' careers that could make it, that could have a chance if they if they stayed with their boys' club. School football, school football doesn't exist anymore. Not to exist, but not to the level that you and I knew. It. School to play for your school was the biggest honour you could have. It was like Absolutely. playing for your country. Nobody's interested Absolutely. in school football anymore, and that's where a lot the scouts went to as well. And then you signed yes forms as well. And to me. You referred to it earlier when we were in our heyday, when we were producing all these players. Why was it we were producing all these players? It wasn't because there was no Xboxes and there was no Playstations back then. It was a different way. It was a different way they ran it. Um, I am, I suppose I am and I'm not. I'm not knocking Pro Youth because it's there for a reason and it is producing. You referred to Cal McGregor earlier come through the system. But that's all it's doing. It's just producing. We're not getting. We're not getting the twenty boys coming through to that national team. We're scraped. We're scraped through to that. If we can use it, I wouldn't say we're qualified. We're scraped through. And what did we do at it? We've done nothing. And what was the makeup of the team? It wasn't a makeup of a boys that have all come through our system. It was boys, grannies that have played. You know, um, born in Dumfries or whatever. And, Boys for Lancaster, and there are, you know, Billy Gilmore, the absolute exception, and, and maybe we should model on what he's done. I think Alfie might have his mic muted, but I get what you're saying there, Chris, in terms of the way Billy Gilmore is as a player. I think he's fantastic, and What's your opinion on the way his career has developed so far in terms of him leaving Rangers at an early age and he went to, down to England with Chelsea and then he starred for Scotland in the European Championships? I suppose it's, it's a tricky one, um, Stephen, because, you know, we can use him as an example and say, has he done the right thing to get out of Scotland? Um, you could stay in Scotland. You had young Jack Aitchison on a couple of weeks ago. Jack, for me, phenomenal player. Should have been given the chance at Celtic. Had to go down south to try and better his career. Celtic were, were at one point playing with no striker and Jack Aitchison was still at the club. Bonkers, absolutely bonkers. Years ago, you were through that young man in. Billy Gilmore, could he have stayed at Rangers? Um, that's not for me to say. That's, that's for you know his and his family's decision and we'll see how that evolves. I, I, I think 
I think it will go well for him personally. From what we witnessed on the on the, on a, a huge stage, it went very very well for him. And I think going out on loan in the Premiership will, will do him the world of good as well. But he's a special talent. Maybe me saying use him as an example is as a complete over exaggeration. Um, but it's great that young kids are able to look up to somebody like him. Yeah, but no, I totally uh, agree in regards in regards to Gilmore. But look, I'll pass you back over to Anthony. Some technical issues are, but I'll fade away into the background, boys. <laughs> thanks, mate. Uh, thanks for seamlessly uh, t- t- taking back over there, Stephen. Thanks for that, mate. Sorry, guys, we bit a technical issue at my end. The, the connection just went, but I think that's me back now. Um, so, Chris, I'm just going to go on to the, the sort of just to sum up that to, to finish off the sort of you know different case studies that you could potentially look at as an example. And although the country I'm about to mention is of, of you know, dwarfs the size of Scotland, I think the example is does fit. And the country in question is France. Mm-hmm. Now, in 1990, we defeated France to qualify for Italia 90. In 1994, they didn't qualify for USA 94 either. They then won the tournament in 1998. Now, you can argue, of course, they were hosts. Of course, it can maybe play a part, but I think it runs a little bit more than just having a home crowd behind you. And me and you have spoke about this particular um, programme in the run-up to the show. Um, It's a show, it's about three or four years old now on BBC Scotland called Scotland's Game. And it's a sort of highlight reel of everything uh, involving Scottish football for the last 30 years. And there's a particular episode that focuses on the international team and the, the sort of development, uh, youth development that we've been discussing tonight. Now, around the time we were saying that, you know, perhaps that the other countries were starting to catch up with us, um, Craig Brown gets interviewed in the programme. And I really do recommend it to everyone listening. Um, if you can think you can get it still on, on iPlayer. Um, it's Scotland's Game, it's called. And Craig Brown, Scotland manager at the time, points out that, at that time in France, Gerard Houllier brought in a rule um, that essentially meant that no top division club in France could have more than 20 players on the squad over the age of 21. And if they did, they had to pay quite a subsequent uh, sort of fee on them. Um, perhaps money is no object in football now, but back then, you know, it was a fee that wasn't per- perhaps worth the, the gamble. So if you were in a position where a player got injured or suspended or whatever, you had to promote from within. Now, John Tegener was manager um, at the time of uh, Monaco, I believe, was the um, the club that he mentions. And a couple of the, the players um, weren't available for selection. So he promoted two players. I don't know if you've heard of them. Uh, one's called Thierry Henry and the other, David Trezeguet. Uh, that was in 1996. And within two years, they were in the, the French national team. And of course, they then went on to have glittering careers. Now, around the time of 2000, after we failed to qualify for Euro 2000 and sort of in the, the run-up to Craig Brown leaving his job as Scotland manager, he proposed that we adopt this uh, with the creation of the new Scottish Premier League around that time. He proposed that we introduce this rule. And as you can possibly imagine, it was voted down very quickly by both halves of the old firm, um, who used the argument that it would hinder their own progress in European club competition. Now, 21 years have passed since the you know, beginning of the 21st century, and give or take the odd campaign, 
you would hardly argue that either club have really set the European uh, competition alight. Do you think now that that argument is is too short-sighted and, and, and doesn't hold up to any kind of scrutiny whatsoever? And if it was up to you, if you were the if you were the all all seeing uh, power in Scottish football, would you adopt that rule? So two things on that, Tony, and that's a brilliant, brilliant reference because it all relates back to roughly the same dates as we are talking about when things start to just collapse for Scottish football as such as a, as a national team. Um, absolutely great, great rule. I would. Um, it's funny because um, Celtic sent Eric Black to reject that, who who. And himself, Black was a great coach, played played at a high level as well, but a really, really good coach. Didn't do so well at Celtic, but with really high regarded Black. But the man that actually ended up resigning on that was Jim McLean. Walked out that meeting and says, Well, if that's what we're voting for, I'm out. And we spoke about him earlier. And how true is that come now that had we possibly adopted that? Don't know if you're too young, um, Tony, but do you remember you could only have three foreigners in your team? Yeah, I, I, I remember that rule, yeah. I mean, something like that again. And by the way, foreigners in the 80s included English players as well. So I, I, I didn't realise that. I, I didn't realise that um, particular part. No, so, uh, wow. You know, I'm not saying it should be free, but should we, should we start to set it? And, and, and then that all starts to lean again to what comes out. I'm not saying you know, we're at the end of this, but it, the study is never going to end as far as I'm concerned, right? Money, again, because we brought, and listen, I'm not going to deny, we have some seen some fantastic footballers, you know, your gazers, your loud jobs. Henrik Larson, I mean, look, we, we might still see that guy as one of the three, but we had that special, special time we've seen these players come through. But, did that waste Scottish football eventually as well because we, we had to go back the way and then move forward, we went back the way again and the money's the money's not there anymore. Sky are wasting it. You refer to Celtic and Rangers. They'll they'll not give up playing each other four times a year because it's too much money against each other because of the Sky deal. So money is fundamentally wasting football. But I don't think anybody could argue with that. Anybody you speak to could argue with that. But that... I've listened to another podcast, Craig Brown, and in fact, Jock Brown, sorry, Jock Brown, about Craig Brown, and another fantastic podcast. Um, and and Jock Brown's vision of football was exceptional as well. A lawyer and a commentator, what right has he got to have an opinion in football? Everybody's got a right to have that. Like but I, I feel sorry for the guys that go out and give up their time. Um, they are the ones that aren't appreciated the most. Um, it's the coaches that go out there, but coaches and one-to-one -one coaches in particular, PTs or whatever we call them now, are popping up everywhere. They're popping up absolutely everywhere. I just want to see these guys that have, have, have got these badges and went through it and it goes past the Icelandic model. I want to see them give mm -hmm. something to our grass, grassroots level. So I don't mind people making money off again. Whatsoever, I have no problem with that. My own son does one-to-one. -one. He, he's got a fantastic one-to-one -one coach. Really, really good guy. The good thing is for him, his one, he does give back something at the grassroots level. But I know that people have jumped on this, in particular in the back of the pandemic as well. 
that wasn't there before. It was old style coaches. I'm not saying they're Jim McLean's or Tommy McLean's of the world. You know, Alex Ferguson, when you, when you watch his um, documentary, you know, he was old school. Is there a place in football for that anymore? Possibly not. But these guys have fantastic vision and, and they didn't get it wrong. Yeah, I think, uh, like you say, Sir Alex Ferguson, uh, he, he, I think he, he done all right, didn't he? <laughs> he done, he at, done no bad. If he you done watch no a bad. documentary, um, I think it's uh, is it on Amazon, and where he yeah. was, you know, and I know we all talk about the, the, the Lee Martin goal that, that kept him his job. Hmm. Ferguson was, was failing and failing and failing at Man United, but would not give up. And what makes him not give up? Is it because he's, he, he was a born winner? Absolutely, and I think as well, it, it, it was very good having the, a chairman. I know Martin Edwards gets a lot of uh, stick, but he he believed in Ferguson's vision as well, didn't he? He says that several times. He says we we he, the way he was redeveloping everything at the cliff, creating a new culture at United, and uh, yeah, like you say, the the, the club I mean, definitely seen the fruits of that. I mean, you talk about that, you know, the development of the cliff and stuff like that. And if I just go back to our own club, Celtic, and and it's, this isn't about Celtic, but if you look at the, the Lennox Town facility, it's fantastic, it's great. Uh, Tommy Burns, God rest his soul, brilliant. Still think it should be named after him, but that's, again, my opinion. Probably a lot, a lot of other people. <laughs> but Battlefield, times, is a complete and utter disaster. The carpets in my house are a better surface than what we are. Cream of the crop are learning to play football on. And when I, I sort of dug up Cy Ferry about it, he says, some great players have come through in this. Well, some great players came through in Ash, but it doesn't make it right. And as a Celtic supporter, I was really, really disappointed to see what these boys are coming through on. If they're going to an academy, they should be going to the best. That's what they should be getting brought up on as the best. Not not something substandard that's 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 got no investment whatsoever. Now, I do believe that Celtic are investing in that, but that's been going on a number of years. Yeah. It's uh, definitely something, uh, perhaps with the new administration uh, coming in, that we can look at developing. Uh, so, Chris, we'll, we'll kind, of, kind of sort of come to the end of the show now. And before I get you to, we'll, we'll finish off with your um, futsal uh, project, because I, I really do want to give that um, the, the space it deserves. But just on Scotland as a whole, and um, just to sort of finish off, where we, you, as you said, you think this is a sort of, this is research and a sort of, a thing that, in theory, should never ever end. You know, football progression and, and grassroots development should always be a constantly evolving story. But at the moment, where, just in your own opinion, where do you think we are at the moment with regards to, you know, our, our space? And do you think that by qualifying for Euro 2020, do you think that by the new generation having some sort of national sort of symbol of that's where we want to be? Do you think that getting to the, the tournament this year can be a, a springboard to make it a sort of more semi-regular occurrence? Or do you worry that this has just been perhaps a, a one-off? Or do you think that, like you said, we've got we've got all the ingredients to, to really make a go of it. It's just a case of putting all the pieces together sort of thing. I think the qualification um, grasps the nation, without a doubt. Off the back of a pandemic as well, massively helped. You know, my, my daughter's only a year younger than my son, and uh, we had the, the telly out in the back and gardening and everything like that, because he brought up the lot, and she'd come out and watch it. No interest in football whatsoever. Her brother was a mascot in a Champions League match, and she, she, was, she was at the game and wasn't even interested. 
all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, you're grasping a nation. And we never really got to talk about girls' football. Um, so apologies to that because, again, countries like Canada were 30, 40 years ahead on the girls' game before we ever got it here. And, and the way that has, has um, progressed over the past 10 years in particular in Scotland is phenomenal. So it might be a it might be a different one we need to do that and but a big shout out to the women's game as well which is which has just done fantastically well but going back to get, uh, Scotland whether whether or not their qualification is going to cloud um cloud what we're trying to achieve or a springboard I think we need to use it but beware that like this might not mean we're going to qualify for the next tournament just because we qualified for this one. We scraped for this one. But I'll tell you what, we're building, we're building a set player. I'll look at England, for example, right? As well, and it pains me to see it, but they've got a team capable of going to the next World Cup final. Certainly the semi-finals, without yeah. a doubt. They've got that team there. I don't mind the players, if I'm honest with you at all. Um, they're a great bunch of players and uh, the, the manager's very, very well respected as well. It's probably the media and the fans that make it a whole lot worse for me. But um, again, my opinion, <laughs> probably all it's got It's one I would second, I must admit. I, um, so we've got to use it, to your to your words, a springboard. We've got to say we managed to graft the nation. There's no amount of Scotland shots that you've seen about the place. Um, that, that could be another podcast in the price of them. And, <laughs> oh God! <laughs> um, we we really, really need to use it for something and say, right, what have we done so far? Because sorry, we've we've achieved so much at grassroots level. Is it falling down at pro youth? If the answer is yes, and that's not for me to say. That's not for me to say. Um, scrap pro youth. That's my opinion, but the study would need to show where that's fallen down. What do we need to do? Right, we need to go back to S forms. We need to we need to look at other countries. What do they do? For, they have got academies as well. There's no doubt. You know, Iceland's not got an academy, but the Dutch had an academy. The Dutch could be another model. We can we can um, we try to bring in that guy we refer to like Mark Watty, but however you pronounce his name, but that. You just don't get a Dutch coach and put him in a technical director of football and think it's going to work. It has to go right back to, um, right back to the communities, right back to government. Have to get involved, and it has to be a director from government, and then get it out to the councils, and then get the association involved. I know we we are in with Sports Scotland and stuff like that, but there's something wrong with the structure somewhere that I just can't quite put my finger on. Um, Football has to be, in fact, all sports need to be available to all so that we can tap tap into this. Not just to to get the golden nugget, the deprived player for Postal Park or wherever like that, to make these kids fit, to give them health and well-being, to give them a healthier lifestyle. It does everything. And in amongst that, who knows? Who knows who, what we could produce out of that? Absolutely. Well, I think in terms of the... The sort of discussion around development um, of you know the young players. I think that's a perfect way uh, to, to round it off, Chris. And but just before we, we finish tonight, I'll, I'll let you sort of go into a little bit more detail about the the futsal project that you you sort of briefly mentioned earlier. And feel free to give anyone a shout out or any any local um, groups or anything um, that you know we might 
that, that anyone might be interested in getting in touch with? So, first of all, for anybody that doesn't know it, um, it's indoors. It's a smaller court. I call it a court as opposed to a wedge. Um, and it, it's fast-paced. It's more intense. But what it does do is it gives you more touches of the ball. And at a young age, that's what you want your kids doing. I was up tonight in Blackburn and uh, asked how they got on. They said, oh, it's mostly all ball work and stuff like that. Of course, it should be their 12-year-old. That's what you want them doing. Of course, they're going to have to work on a physicality and stuff like that. Brilliant. And Blackburn have always been that. But I heard about futsal a couple of years ago and uh, I made a bit of an inquiry around. And there's no futsal anywhere. I think the nearest one I found was in Fife. And I made a tentative inquiry to the gang to see if we could maybe get something over here. And he says, yeah, I'll kind of talk to you. You know what the past year, 18 months has been like. You can't go and see anybody. You can't go and watch something. So I was really unable to to take that any further. Then when I started to talk to people um, around, somebody says, um, I was like, I'm Wes Lothian used to do it. And I was like, oh, right, I've heard that. I don't know who that would be. And uh, try to dig this guy out and find out why why it never worked and everything. And uh, speaking to an old friend of mine, he says, eh, it's your old mate that's doing it. And I'm like, what? He says, no, pal of yours that done it years ago. And I was like, you've got to be joking. So anyway, I get in touch with this guy and I say, I'm like, I want to tap into your knowledge. Why it never worked? What, how could we get it going again? He says, you think we're going to go again? I says, well, I'm looking at it. I don't know how, how I'll get it off the ground. I'd be happy to get involved. So I've been doing another project for a number of months and that's coming to a wee bit of close and I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that we can maybe for the winter months get foots all up and running around West Lothian and it'll probably be on a small scale starting. But the annoying thing about it is when I was doing a wee bit of reach here, there's only one futsal court in Holy West Lothian. And it is... It's incredible, isn't it? It's in West Lothian College. And Aye. actually can get access to that so that's great but as I thought about it do they really need you know I don't know if you're familiar with the size of the goals in that tournament they're really quite tall goals why they're tall mm-hmm. goals I don't know because the ball's in the deck most of the time but anyway <laughs> that's by the by <laughs> um, I just thought to myself well does it really matter if it's the futsal goals or not at this moment in time could we just get them playing it and they just play it into the five sides goals or the seven sides goals and stuff like that so very early days, but I've managed to engage somebody that was involved in it previously, um, which helps because you're not starting from scratch. And I would hope that's that right. You've got something to something to work off. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I can come along to teams like your sons that he's called them and say, look, look, guys, just want to put a, a team in for this, or do they want to come up and try this as a training session? We, you know, um, games against each other and stuff like that. So. It's like it's like what we would know as five sides, but it's just a bit different, um, and it's fun, but it's all about the ball. Everything's about the ball, and why is it? What the question is is why is it not popular? Why why do not people not enough people know about it? FIFA did take it over, um, and I, I don't know if that. Made it unpopular. I'm not sure. I'm 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 very very early days as to why it's not. But I know for a fact that speaking to people around this region and the guy that I spoke to briefly and Fife, they are really really busy with it. 
There's probably ones in Glasgow. There's probably ones in... I don't think there was one in Edinburgh because the nearest one I found was five. So really something that I want to get going. Um, I'm no expert in it, but by the looks of things, you don't need to be. As I say, I can get somebody involved that used to be. I know somebody else that, 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 that can run it as well. So I might tap into coaches and I might say, right, you know, what? Well, I'm only going to drive the bus here, guys. That's all I need to do. It, it, it sounds something that I, it definitely sounds something that um, is sort of making my, my ears um, sort of prick up a little bit. It definitely sounds like something that could be right up my street. Definitely with the age that um, my boys at, at the moment, Chris. It sounds absolutely brilliant, and I'm sure we'll probably have a few more um, conversations about maybe taking something like that forward, especially with the winter months coming up. Um, so, yeah, I think we'll definitely, I think we'll have to have you back on at some point and we can have a little sort of progress report and uh, see just where, where everything's going with it. Um, that, that, that's absolutely brilliant. But yeah, th- I think in terms of the night's podcast... You about football and I, you could just go on all night and give... <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, 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 and I don't want to insult anybody by my opinion. I've done a wee bit of research mm-hmm. behind that. I would hope they appreciate that. Um everybody has got a different opinion and everybody and the, the problem is as well like grassroots everybody wants the best for their boy i'm trying not to make it about that i'm trying to make this about the best for everybody that's it and i think um definitely everyone on here i would imagine would, would get behind that as well um absolutely uh but chris in terms of tonight's podcast um i think that's us um pretty much done have you enjoyed your time on the show loved it mate loved it uh, listen, I think I'll speak on behalf of all the boys um, that we are going to, we're really looking forward to this one uh, getting released. It's one I've been looking forward to doing for, for quite some time now. It's been really fascinating hearing into all your, your research into different areas and such. And definitely we'll, we'll get you back on soon just for, for sort of updates. Um, in terms of the rest of the programs for this week episode 39 of the regular show um it dropped on youtube and all the other usual outlets uh this afternoon so get on board with that guys brilliant conversation uh as always with Stephen and some of the rest of the panel um and episode 40 will be coming your way on friday lunchtime uh where Stephen will be back in the host chair doing what he does best and uh getting us all to behave but until then my thanks to chris uh, for all his insight tonight and for Stephen for stepping in uh, during the technical issues and thanks again for a, for a fantastic chat and uh, until we speak again everyone stay well and keep safe hail hail